Hello, this is Erica Hassel from the Field Museum, and I use the Mike Novak Show's website to learn about native plant sales. You're listening to WCGO Radio 1590 and 95.9, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. This guy's a real jerk. He thumbs his nose at rules and basic common sense, acting like he's the only one who matters. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a beer on a boat if you do it responsibly. But that's a big if for this jerk. This jerk's an accident waiting to happen. Sit up and keep your eyes on the water, jerk. Irresponsible boating endangers not only you, but others on the water. Hey, jerk, you're too close to the shore and you're going to get stuck. We warned you. It's important to be aware of your surroundings at all times to avoid mishaps or more serious accidents. This jerk's equally as clueless in a kayak, running through the lines of those fishing near the shore. Some jerks also have no concept of personal space. When someone else hooks a fish, he swoops right in the same spot. What a jerk move. The worst kinds of jerks are the ones who leave a mess behind wherever they go. Um, that's not a sports drink. Sure, fishing line mishaps happen. But not disposing of it properly can be deadly for wildlife. Jerk. Our message is simple. Follow the rules, use common sense, and stay safe to ensure a pleasurable experience for all preserve visitors. In other words, don't be a jerk. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. And I have to throw... Just a word of caution here. Don't be a jerk. There we go. Thank you. All right. Uh, (laughs) A shout out uh, as we start the show because we are going full tilt boogie today on insects and bugs and whatever. You know, I use the term, and I've got two scientists in the room, and maybe you guys can help me with this. I use the term bugs to mean it all. And I know bug is actually a particular term. In the scientific world, is it not? Yeah. Al, okay. <laughs> Alan Lawrence 
is here in the studio. Doug Terran is here in the studio. They both work at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Um, actually, uh, you might... Uh, for those of you who are old school, it's uh, the uh, Chicago Academy of Sciences. Uh, Doug is the chief curator. Alan is a s- associate curator, and they're both entomologists. And now to finish the question, if you say bug, you mean a particular thing, don't you? Yeah, there are uh, you know two different types of bug. There's the colloquial bug where you're just talking about any creepy crawly. But in entomology, there's a group of insects called the true bugs, which belong to the order Hemiptera. They all have piercing, sucking, sort of needle-like mouth parts, so they can feed on plant juices or animal um, juices. Um, and actually, there's a little bit of debate um, when, and you, if you ask an entomologist right now about what a true bug really is, because mm-hmm. uh-huh. there's been a taxonomy change recently where there were two orders, Homoptera and Hemiptera. And only the hemiptera were true bugs, but then later the homoptera were put into the hemiptera. Ah, ah. Who, and who makes those I don't, changes? It, there's, who makes the changes? Taxonomists make the changes. I mean, the change is legitimate, but the debate is over whether is it all these mm-hmm. insects combined together are now bugs, or are some things that weren't true bugs before now true bugs, or is it only what was formerly the true bugs remain the true uh, bugs? Okay, we've lost half our audience right there. <laughs> But thank you, Alan, for that explanation. But no, I, that's the point I'm trying yeah. to make is that there's science behind it. However, for the purpose of radio and the people I talk to, I differentiate insects from bugs. I, I use bugs as the big picture. So when I say bugs, I'm talking about anything that crawls or slimes or, you know, uh, wanders around in your compost pile or in your house, whatever, just so that it's uh, the bigger picture. And then I try to differentiate from arachnids and insects and that sort of thing. But as you say, it's very specific, Alan, so I'm not dissing you here, even though I played crickets during that. And and the whole point was to, to give a shout-out to the Will County uh, 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 Forest Preserve District for the Don't Be a Jerk series of videos that they've done. Uh, you got, you're got nodding, so you're, you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. Doug. I love them. <laughs> yeah. This is the fourth in the series. That's what you heard at the beginning of the mm-hmm. show. Don't Be a Jerk. When you go out to the Forest Preserve and they talk about bringing your dog, about garbage, about litter, uh, about waterways, that's this one, and and using the trail. Using the trail. Yeah. So, uh, look at look at look at Andrew jumping through hoops of fire to try to keep all the microphones working. Trying properly. to keep you from echoing. Yeah, that's right. All right, we'll be back. The Mike Novak Show, Peggy Malecki. We're talking bugs today. The 12th Annual McHenry County College Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 2nd, and it's packed with cool, sustainable exhibits and learning experiences. The Clean Transportation Exhibit features luxury electric vehicles. There are workshops on regenerative agriculture, composting, and recycling. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. There are more than 100 area businesses and organizations offering green exhibits, taste local food, go on the sustainable artist walk, and tour the beautiful new MCC greenhouse and high tunnels. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Peggy and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash green expo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. 
City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants, you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. CityGrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. It's jungle out there. Disorder and confusion everywhere. Not in the world of entomology. <laughs> no one seems to care. Well, I do. Hey, who's in charge here? Well, I am, of course. Out there. Poison in the very air we breathe. You know what's in the water that you drink? No. Well, I do. It's Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I still think that in some ways, this is our real theme song, this mm-hmm. one. Tension of this world we love so much. Might just. Might just kill you. Yep. I could be wrong now. I don't think so. But I don't think so, because there's the jungle out there. There's the jungle out there. Especially when it comes to insects and spiders and worms and millipedes and centipedes and all of the, all those great creatures crawl around uh, with apologies to Alan Lawrence uh, bugs. Uh, and, <laughs> you can say bug. I have no qualm with, with the colloquial he's, bug. He's not the taxonomist here. <laughs> no, no, no. And I know. And I'm, I'm just it's, – it's, here's the difficulty – I try to be as uh, science-based as I can, but at a certain point, if you start losing people, you got to you got to make it more colloquial. You got you got to bring them back into the conversation. And and you're nodding, Doug. I imagine you run into that all the time. I, I sure. I, I know when I was uh, first starting in into bugs way back in the day, uh, the professional entomology community would get a lot more um, upset about the uh, incorrect use of the word bug, and, and people are a lot more tolerant of it now. Good. If you don't have the public on your side, you're going to lose the battle. And if, and the way to get the public in is to keep them in the game, I guess, you know, uh, make them comfortable uh, with, these, with, with these terms. Uh, meanwhile, you do your science, and I do my science as much as, as I can, uh, uh, to educate the public. So it's this fine line. you got to split the difference. Oh, and by the way, uh, getting back uh, to the conversation that we started at the very beginning of the show, uh, if you want to find any of these videos, uh, Don't Be a Jerk uh, videos, which are, are really cool, um, you can go to reconnectwithnature.org, dub, dub, dub dot reconnect with nature.org again it's uh the will county forest preserve district they are a county near uh the chicago area in the chicago area near chicago 
And I just love the videos, and they apply all over the country. doesn't matter where you are. There's forest preserve districts everywhere and open areas and natural areas, and they're teaching people how not to be stupid um, because you've got to look out for plants. You've got to look mm-hmm. out for critters there. Um, and just the quality of life uh, and the quality of your experience in a, in a forest preserve or an open area. So uh, go check out those videos at uh, www.reconnectwithnature.org. Look for the big thumb and the pointing finger. Don't be a jerk, okay? Well, they've actually been getting a lot of write-ups around the country. Have they? What they're doing, yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure, and I, I'm sure glad. In fact, I... Um, I was going to post something on uh, our Facebook page about that because I've been uh, putting those uh, videos up. What a jerk move. I know. It is on my part. All right. But today we are talking uh, bugs, insects, and as I said, a, a lot of different uh, critters. And we should start, as we usually do, with monarchs because they're the charismatic megafauna of the insect world. And this is what and, – and, and I guess they're the gateway insect, aren't they? Yeah. So what's the status? Uh, I'm reading. We posted some things at MikeNovak.net. Go to M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and you'll see some articles. Uh, I was looking around, found articles all over the United St- eastern part of the United States because we are dealing with the eastern monarch population that says – the numbers are really good this year, and, and we're hearing uh, reports of roosting on their way back south because they're headed south. Now, you told me the other day, Doug, that you thought the roosting was just south of Chicago. Right. So I missed it once again. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so tell us about the numbers, and what are you hearing? Well, of course, we uh, work every year with the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network, and um, the network itself has had a very good year this year. We've gotten an enormous number of surveys in, so uh, even though the very last of the surveys are still trickling in, we've got enough data to look at. And when we look at the monarch, we find that since the early 1990s, this year is the fourth highest population that has been recorded by the butterfly monitors. Now, you may be having a sense of deja vu here because a year ago I was here talking to you yes. and said it is the fourth highest year that we have had since the early 1990s. Well, we just barely edged out last year. You're a broken record, <laughs> dude. But it's that's encouraging. And I saw a uh, the graph uh, probably at – uh, one of one of one of the sites. Uh, I've got it up here, um, and it was uh, Journey North, and they've got this uh, line that they call the sustained population of six hectares is the target for monarch recovery, and we're at six point zero five coming out of last winter. All right, so that's where we were going into this summer. Now coming out of the summer, the numbers are good. So it, it bodes well for what's going to happen in Mexico, I imagine, this winter. One of the things that we have found with the data here in Illinois is that it is a very good predictor of the numbers that you will see in Mexico the following winter. Interestingly, the reverse of that does not really seem to be nearly as true. Mm. What you see in Mexico in the winter is a very poor predictor of what you will see up here the following summer. So I think it's important to remember when looking at numbers like this that like all insects, the monarch population numbers jump around a lot from year to year. And so a few years back, uh, around 2012, 2013, we had a couple of really terrible years for the monarch. And I kept saying to people, don't 
panic too much here. A couple of bad years doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, all is doomed. I'm going to say the reverse of that now. The numbers jump around a lot. A couple of really good years doesn't necessarily mean we're out of the woods yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's Well, that's why I titled my blog An Amazing Year, in quotes, for Eastern Monarchs, question mark. Because I anticipated what you were going to say, which is just and I know I know the people who listen to this show and who and who I engage with in social media, uh, they think I'm uh, a doomsayer. Okay, and and that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm I'm cool with that. (laughs) Uh, I still think that we're losing too much habitat. I still think uh, that uh, uh, pesticides are ha- – I mean, okay, all you got to do is look at the report that came out this week. It said one-third of our bird popu- – our songbird population has disappeared in 50 years, and that gives pause – uh, to if that doesn't give pause to you, you're not paying attention. So there's a, a correlation between the bird population and the insect population, I would imagine. Well, given the uh, particularly with songbirds, the uh, percentage of species that rely on insects for food, sure. If um, and one of the things uh, Alan and I gave a, a paper earlier this year at the Wild Things Conference mm-hmm. that talked about long-term declines. excuse me, that we have seen in both butterfly and dragonfly populations here in Illinois Mm. as monitored by the Butterfly Monitoring Network and the Odinate Survey. So, uh, you know, the the long-term trajectory does not seem great here. No. So while it's good to celebrate the fact that we've seen a lot of monarchs out here, uh, as Doug says, be cautious about that because it doesn't... And the other argument we had last year, which was very cool, was... What is the proper way to measure the population of monarchs? Uh, your point is that a lot of people say, well, the official count is what happens in Mexico. And you said, no, not really. There's You can count during the summer, too. That's really important, too. It's harder to quantify than it is uh, in Mexico. Uh, but it also uh, has its place. Yeah, and there there are a number of surveys that happen in particular with the monarch at different times of the year. Um, Right about now, there are going to be a series of surveys, uh, probably most famously in Cape May, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. where people try to get a handle on the size of the migratory population, Mm -hmm. which, which is not something specifically measured by the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network, for example. During the summer, there are several programs that use very different uh, data collection protocols that uh, survey the monarchs. And one of the interesting things about that is when we have compared these, we can see very good correlation in many cases between the numbers that are obtained with different uh, data collection protocols. So that suggests that we're all seeing real stuff out there. And uh, in particular for a program like the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network, which is a citizen science program, for a long time there was questions, you know, can people with no formal training in science collect good data? And this really argues that, well, yes, they can and, and they are. Well, and and the way you look at that, you can look at that also uh, in terms of Journey North, which is a citizen science organization that just this year moved, had moved its – headquarters to Madison, Wisconsin, to the Arboretum there, uh, and they have engaged citizen scientists for 25 years to monitor populations of insects. Um, so uh, this, is, uh, this is really – so it's important stuff. Um, and I don't, and, and don't want to get into the – I want to get off of Monarchs at, pretty soon because 
that would monopolize the conversation. It's like when, <laughs> when you try to talk gardening and it turns to lawns and then lawns suck up all the air in the room. So we, I don't want to do that either. But let's finish real quick. Uh, and Alan, by the way, uh, anything that you want to add right now to jump in? I'm sorry, uh, Doug, sort of, I've been pointing at Doug here, but I'll point at you. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're on. Yeah, yeah I'm on. Um, well, it's also, as you're mentioning, we want to get off monarchs at some point because they're not the only butterfly we should be concerned with. There are a lot of locally imperiled species we should be worrying about. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other butterflies that aren't having good years. Well, think of the Carner Blue at Indiana Dunes. It's not there anymore. And um, it just beca- Indiana Dunes just became a national park. Mm-hmm. And you would think that now's the perfect time for the Kerner Blue to show up uh, for all those people going to this brand new national park, uh, which which also has its own problems because apparently uh, the uh, number of people who have showed up at the park this year just went through the roof. And, it, and they're not sure if it's because it was designated a national park. You know, some people want to get that that ticket stamped, mm-hmm. uh, so they've been to all of them, whatever. The other problem is it's on the way to everything. I mean, if you go out to the Olympic National Park in Washington State, it, it's really not that well attended uh, because it's not on the way. It's stuck in a corner of the state of Washington, and it's in one of the most gorgeous parks in the world, uh, and yet the population's low. You go to Indiana Dunes, well, it's at the southern edge of Lake Michigan where all the highways are, all the trains are, and anybody can get there. Um, so, and, and does that affect the butterfly populations there? I mean, definitely could. Their habitat's pretty sensitive, but for the Carner Blue, I think climate change is the bigger issue. And that's something we haven't even addressed. And and a lot of uh, these, it's not just habitat loss. It's not just pesticides. It is climate change, which, of course, we are also responsible for. uh, And you're seeing the decline. Uh, So you haven't seen, is it elsewhere in this area, Alan, the Carner Blue? or, Or is that where it was primarily seen? Uh, there was never – it wasn't a huge population in Indiana. Doug, where's the closest? Um, the the two biggish populations that are relatively near here are um, up by Fort McCoy in central Wisconsin and um, the Allerton State game area in western Michigan. Yeah, but an issue with climate change is you're more likely to get um, this phenomenon called phenotypic uh, or phenological mismatch where, say, the caterpillars yeah. – Right. Yeah, wake up and are hungry before their host plant has started to leaf yeah. out and green up and the food is not available for them. By the way, one of the articles that I found uh, was from New Hampshire, uh, and you guys will appreciate the headline, uh, or actually the first paragraph. Uh, this year is proving to be a good one in New Hampshire, if a slightly puzzling one, for the most iconic of all butterfly species. And sorry, Kerner Blue, but we mean the monarch butterfly. So apparently, <laughs> apparently in in New Hampshire, that's uh, a big deal. Yeah, there's there's a population of Kerner Blues near Concord, New Hampshire, and there are, <laughs> there are sandy areas there with uh, mm-hmm. the lupin host plant, and and so I'm really I'm really glad to hear that they are making that kind of a statement in in the newspaper article. Why? Because. Um, even though they're saying sorry, Carner Blue, they are acknowledging the Carner Blue there. So that's uh, <laughs> people are aware of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, it's just like this this thuggery on the part of the monarch butterfly. Nobody talks about other. Got a butterflies. good PR agent. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But the Carner Blue is endangered. 
Yes, yeah, uh, endangered at the federal level and has not been seen in Indiana at all since 2012. Uh, give, give me a couple more, Alan, that uh, you think uh, uh, merit our consideration. Um, one that we've worked with is the regal fritillary butterfly, mm-hmm. which is another kind of success story, or at least starting to have some success um, repopulating areas within the sort of east central Illinois and Indiana boundary area. I think I've seen a ton of those in the spring the last couple of seasons. Would that would I have seen that one? I know I, there are fritillaries in my backyard and in my area. Is it the regal fritillary or am I thinking of other fritillaries? I, yeah, you're probably thinking of the great spangled fritillary unless you live uh, sort of closer to the Kankakee area. Okay. Well, see, that's why. That's why I'm asking the scientists in the room. All right. <laughs> and before we break, like one minute, just that's all I want to devote to this, raising monarchs. It's so controversial. You say anything at all, and then all the monarchs lovers, you got 60 seconds. All the monarch lovers come at you. Who wants to just dive in and, and make a, a – all, right. all right, Alan. Real quick. It's a great educational experience. Go ahead and do it, but try and keep it to less than 10. That's a joint statement put out by the Xerxes Society and other monarch researchers. And don't bring them inside to rear them because that could potentially break their migratory behavior. And in the long run, isn't it better – well, I don't know. Isn't it better to just leave them in nature and to to their own devices? I, I hear that the survival rate is like 2% or something of all eggs laid. Is that too low? That's fairly standard for most insects. Um, yeah. they, they have a reproductive strategy where they lay a gazillion eggs and only a few of them survive through the So don't raise more than 10. Certainly don't participate in the places that, that breed them by the tens of thousands. That's just not healthy at all. All right, more insects when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, you've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's still a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, columnar, or angular. Like I said, these are not your grandfather's conifers. If you've been to the Shedd Aquarium, the Lincoln Park Conservatory, or the Chicago Botanic Garden, you've seen some of these fantastic trees. Go to Rich's Fox Willow Pines for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. Do you know that Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? This is Peggy, and I know this is true because for eight years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and they're ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicago who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, doctors, dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more.
I love the sound of summer rain. I love the sunshine when skies are blue again. But soon the autumn wind will put a chill into my bones. I hate to see the summer go. Ah, uh, yes. We all do. So do the insects, especially. Especially the ones that are not going to overwinter. Well, that's why they go in the house. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki. Uh, we're very pleased to have a couple of noted scientists in the studio from the Piggy Notabart Nature Museum. They are Doug Terran and Alan Lawrence. And uh, we're, we're talking... Oh, by the way, that's our who's singing that. That's our buddy Mark Dvorak um, uh, from his latest CD, which is not. It's, it's I think it's since 2014, but that, <laughs> that's the latest CD, uh, and it's a great song. He's got some great songs on there. Uh, so we we talk monarchs. Good, we get that out of the way. All right, let's ju- <laughs> let's jump to spiders because I'm afraid the spiders will get short shrift. Which, of course, spiders are not insects. They're arachnids. That's a different thing. Eight legs versus six legs is what you learn in grade school. Um, Alan, you've been quoted in articles recently around this area about people freaking out over spiders at this time of year. Why do people freak out um, over spiders at this time of year? Well, a lot of your spiders are full grown this time of year, and they're very big and visible, so you might notice them more often. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, as it starts to cool out outside, some of them might try and wander inside your house if it's not properly sealed. Yeah, but, you know, who's got a properly sealed house? I've got a 130-year-old home, and there's no way I'm keeping critters out of my house. That's just it. And I I don't mean just spiders and ants and that sort of thing. Pretty much, I I would think anything could wander in at this point. (laughs) Just open the back door. In, In our part of the country, I know it's not the same everywhere in the United States, but in the northern tier, we really don't have a lot of poisonous spiders here, do we? No, there's only two venomous spiders um, in Illinois, the brown recluse and the black widow, both of which are pretty rare in the northern half of the state, so I wouldn't even concern myself with them. So they, what is their uh, latitude uh, in terms of viability? Um, I mean, they can be found around here, uh, but they're just going to be more common in the southern half of the state. But right. even where they are present, they're not very aggressive, so I also still wouldn't worry about that. Really? Okay, because you you hear all the horror stories. Mostly these days, not so much about Black Widow anymore, but Brown Recluse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know. Yeah, sometimes a building can get a Brown Recluse infestation, so there will be, like, isolated buildings with a high population of this specific spider. Um, somehow they get in, and they like to live in little nooks and crannies. You don't see them walking around too often. You just have to be careful sometimes, you know, if you reach into your shoes and you accidentally disturb one, that sort of thing. So that can yeah. freak people out, but they're really not prone to biting. You you really have to kind of aggressively It's kind of like bees, I guess. It's, you got to really aggravate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I've noticed the spiders, and it happens at this time of year. And also the foliage in my yard is way overgrown, so it makes it easier for them to string webs. And as I mentioned on the show the other week, usually I'm walking out to the garage and I get a face full of cobweb. <laughs> uh, I saw one on the way to the basement a couple of days ago, and, boy, this guy or gal had set up uh, this web that would snare any human being walking into my basement. Uh, and my, it worked. You, and you got to understand, my basement, uh, you have to, because it's an old house, you have to go outside to go into the basement. Uh, 
and this was right right across the stairway, and the spider was right in the middle, and it had snagged something, and had wrapped it up in a little cocoon. And I just said, "Okay, I'm 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 going to let you do whatever you're going to do here, dude." I walked into a cobweb this morning, yeah. getting into my car. <laughs> I think with oh, the yeah. rain last night, I always it walked love in. them. Yeah, when they're just across yeah. the car door. But yeah, I've got one of the orb web, the orb spiders across the front door. Yeah, and is you know you'll just like carefully take a couple of the strands off to get the spider to move so you can get out the door and by the time you get back it's fixed all right yeah. peggy mentioned orb web spiders what kind of different spiders are you going to see uh in this area yeah so there are just so many different types of spiders but probably the most charismatic one that bothers people a lot and they notice is called the gray cross spider which is an orb weaver so it makes those big strong webs mm-hmm. in big empty areas they love man-made structures so they like high-rises they like bridges they like um cta stations yeah um any sort of tunnel or underpass they're everywhere when i'm walking with my friends i have to you know remind (laughs) myself to not point out every spider to people (laughs) because i'll drive them insane oh no no you've got to no that's your job alan (laughs) they're everywhere no but if you actually looked up at a bus stop they are everywhere um however they're you know we're in a city that's on a, a coastline of this giant freshwater lake and a river. So there are a lot of bugs that live in water and around water. Mm-hmm. So the, if these spiders weren't also there, you'd have a lot more bugs flying around your face bothering you. Mm-hmm. Well, close I, I, I'm at this point where I want that to happen. I'm, I, you know, when you read about the windshield effect and the loss, the mass loss of insects, uh, let's talk about that uh, a, a little bit. Studies, uh, most uh, the late the one I've read was about uh, Germany, where in certain areas they lost what three quarters of the insect population, maybe two thirds, something like that, over a period of time. Doug, uh, can you address that a little bit? Well, there are a number of studies that have taken place uh, in different places around the world uh, using different methods that have shown large declines in a variety of um, insect species. Um, some of the studies are. Uh, taxon specific. We've we've already talked about the ones that um, Alan and I were covering off on earlier that were specific to butterflies and dragonflies. Others are much more general. There's actually one from Puerto Rico that seems to be um, correlating insect declines with songbird declines, mm-hmm. which is um, and lizards. Uh, and lizards. That's right. And uh, so. It's, it's I thought int- I, read, I read one about Costa Rica, too, where well, huge areas that used to be completely controlled, dominated by insects, have are, are almost barren to some degree. Mm-hmm. I, I know that when, um, when I do things like um, black lighting for uh, moths in certain places in the tropics, the um, – uh, the sheet does not get nearly as covered with with insects as it would many years ago. Now so, I don't know. So, I don't know how general that is. So for our listeners, what is black lighting? Black lighting is one way that you collect moths at night. You hang a, a big sheet up and you put uh, a, a light in front of it. Uh, originally, it was black lights. People still use them, but they now use the high intensity halogen lights as well. And the moths and beetles are attracted to the light, and they come and land on the sheet. And um, it's a great way to observe um, a great diversity of insects. You can do it here in Chicago. It's a lot of fun, actually. And the loss of insects to me, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, alluded to it earlier, There's there's got to be a correlation somehow with the bird loss because insects are a huge food source uh, for, for birds. Um, and I think 
if if, if we're losing that many insects, that's that's not a good sign. That can't be. That can't. That does not indicate the health of our planet. There's a really good article from many years ago that E.O. Wilson wrote called "The Little Things That Run the World," and it talks about all of the functions that insects play. And uh, you know, if you think of something biological that's going on, some insect somewhere is doing it. Mm-hmm. And so they provide so many ecological roles and ecological services that uh, a large-scale loss of, of insects is certainly something that one should be concerned about. And are you uh, – let me ask each of you. I mean, does, does – is this something that keeps you awake at night? Or do you just move on and you just do your science? <sighs> Both to a degree. I mean, you know, it keeps me awake and I, and I move on and keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes yeah. it can be really conflicting because yeah. we'll look at our butterfly monitoring data, say, oh, look, there's a really cool trend. This actually shows a story. Mm-hmm. Let's write this up. But it's not a good story. So it's <laughs> sad at the same time. It's yeah. cool to see that our methods work, but then it's really mm. sad to see what the story is. You know, before we get too utterly depressed here about all of this, <laughs> butterflies have had an incredibly good end of the season this year. Mm-hmm. And if you go right, if you go out right now uh, on a nice day, there are lots of butterflies everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's late enough in the season that the uh, species diversity has fallen off a lot for mm-hmm. the year. But you're seeing a lot of individuals. It's a time people are going to see, be seeing a lot of stuff in their butterfly gardens. What, what are you seeing? We're seeing monarchs, obviously, because even though the mass of them have gone south, there's still plenty floating around mm-hmm. up here. And, and every time they, they land in my yard, they say, okay, get that nectar and hit the road, dude. You, you better start heading south. <laughs> but I'm seeing a lot of cabbage butterflies, uh, and I'm seeing – I see other butterflies as well. Still what are you seeing? seeing painted ladies, a lot of yeah. those. Yeah, a lot, lot of painted ladies, buckeyes. There's a really little bright orange one called the fiery skipper that's having an extremely good year. I saw year. some the other day. Yeah, uh, I didn't know what it was, and now I do. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, like bright yellow with little black dots on them. Uh, I've been seeing red admirals. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's it's mostly common species, but um, very high abundance at the moment. And and the whole end of the summer has been very strong for butterfly abundance. And we we see these explosions from time to time of of populations. Uh, I believe there was one in California either this year or the previous year of painted ladies. Was it this spring? I happened to be in California during the painted lady. Oh, uh, expo- oh it was amazing. <laughs> and you'd be driving, and all of a sudden you'd be in this butterfly blizzard. And uh, that that was really cool. Um, I um, I had a little bit of a curmudgeonly response to it, though, because there were so many painted ladies. I wanted to look at other stuff, and it made it hard to find the other stuff because they were getting <laughs> lost like, in all, all right, the painted ladies. Get out ladies. of the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Doug, all, all I got to say to you. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but that's – yeah, but I think a science – Scientists being in the middle of this, I read about it. I said, yeah, I want to be there. I wanted to be there with the flower explosion they had after oh, all the rain. Oh, that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. It really was. Did that, did that help that? Did it lead to it? I, I, I think that they both derive from the same thing, and that is it was a very, very wet winter in the desert southwest, and that produced the big super bloom, which was also amazing, and it, it let the painted ladies really have a good winter. All right. We're going to get to dragonflies. Let me take care of some business here, and then we're going to do a short break, and then we're going to 
we are going to get to dragonflies. But first, got a minute for your trees. Bartlett tree experts know that there are many reasons for pruning your trees. Uh, If you have ornamental trees, pruning dead and dying branches for tree health and safety is always important. Pruning can also reduce wind resistance and subsequent storm damage. It can improve shape or eliminate interference with structures. It can increase the amount of light for grass or ground cover under a tree. It can improve your view But let's not get carried away with that, folks. It gives young trees a strong framework for future growth. Bartlett also provides fruit tree pruning, if you haven't read Orrin Martin's book, and shrub pruning, but that's a very different animal from shrub shearing. There's a lot they can do, but the first step is to contact an arborist representative because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. We will be back with more insects. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and Nutri-Need to get your soil ready for spring. Go to blazing-star.com. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Listen carefully and you just might learn something. No one educates and promotes gardening like you and Peggy. Uh, We applaud you and you do a great job. You're actually saving lives. You don't realize it, but you're able to help affect our area. We try to do that. Uh, And that, of course, is uh, that's mom and dad on the line there. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Sunday mornings from 9 to 11, right here on Smart Talk. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Every time I hear this song now, I think of my days at Gargantua Radio, uh, also known as WGN, when I used to do overnights. And at 4 a.m. every day I would play the song and do news headlines. Uh, so now every time I hear the song, I think, oh, it must be 4 a.m. All right, let's do some news <laughs> headlines. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have in studio a couple of, of foremost entomologists uh, in the country. And uh, Doug Terran and Alan Lawrence uh, uh, work at uh, the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, which is, uh, I always... Uh, 
let's let's let let me get this right because I I I always misspeak if I if I don't read it. Um, come on, Michael, where it is? There it is the uh, Chicago Academy of Sciences. <laughs> Nobody uses that anymore, do they? Uh, or do they? You're you're not. We we, we still get. Um, we, I, our, our official name is the Chicago Academy of Sciences and it's Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. But that's kind of a mouthful. It really is. <laughs> so you could say either and it, yeah. and it means Or the, the museum the within the Chicago yeah. Academy of Sciences. All right. So we said we would get to dragonflies because I know that's a passion mm-hmm. of yours, Doug's. And I, I don't know, maybe uh, I read this someplace, but every time I see a dragonfly, I think it brings good luck. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But uh, tell us about uh, dragonflies this year, Doug. Well, dragonflies at the moment are the other insect that is undergoing <laughs> a very large migration yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it here in Chicago. You can you can uh, go outside. You see it more in the morning and, and later in the afternoon. And you'll see large swarms of dragonflies. These are green darner dragonflies. And when you see the swarm, generally what what's happening there is that uh, a migrating group has kind of taken a break and they're in a feeding swarm. Mm. And um, you'll see them kind of going in every which way direction. And, you know, it's a good migration this year. I have seen bigger, but apparently just east of here into Ohio and Pennsylvania, there's an absolutely enormous dragonfly migration going on at the moment to the point that they're picking it up on weather radar, which is really cool. Peggy sent me the articles uh, I don't know if you have those up there, Peggy. I've but got one of them up was um, National Weather Service's Cleveland office showed radar images of the insects creating storm cloud-like shapes over Ohio, Indiana, and Pennsylvania last week. And there's also some from North Carolina and West Virginia now that have come up on radar. That's that's a lot of dragonflies, isn't it? It, it is. And, and this is not the first time that uh, insect swarms have been detected uh, on weather radar. Uh, I first became aware of this, oh, six or seven years ago. You would hear in Wisconsin, people would be catching the mayfly hatches on the Mississippi River in weather radar. Uh, Then um, later, there was a big painted lady event in Colorado that was caught on weather radar. And last year, they even in Oklahoma detected that other migrating insect. They were (laughs) were detecting orange and black one. Yeah, Yeah. they were detecting monarchs on, on weather radar. No, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, Doug, this is a monarch-free zone oh. right now. Right now. <laughs> so, oh, but that's it's just so cool that they could see yeah. them. I know. It's, so, <laughs> how large are the green darners? The green darners are uh, they are a big dragonfly. They're uh, probably about four inches long. So they're the big ones that you see flying around yes. by the lakefront. Yeah, and um, they're actually um, green and blue. Um, you, you can't really see the colors very well unless mm-hmm. they land, which they don't do all that often, but they're very, very pretty dragonflies. And it's, it's really impressive to be standing surrounded by one of these big, uh, feeding swarms where you've just got thousands of dragonflies swirling around you. And look up, they can fly really high. Yeah. Ah, yeah. you know, it was interesting. Uh, well, how high can, a, okay. How high can a dragonfly go and how high can your average butterfly go? Is it a big difference? And it, or There's, is that something that scientists even measure? Well, I mean, it's not it's not anything that I'm aware of being measured in a systematic way. Mm-hmm. Um, with butterflies, what I can tell you is that um, small aircraft pilots have seen mm-hmm. migrating monarchs at like mm-hmm. five to six thousand feet. Wow. Um, the the uh, green earner dragonflies that are migrating right now are going down to the Gulf Coast, uh, both of the U.S. and Mexico. 
And particularly as they start getting further south, they will start co-migrating with raptors. And they're an important food source for migrating raptors. So if you think of how high, if you're looking at migrating hawks, uh, how high the uh, hawks are flying, they're way up there. The dragonflies um, are not visible with the naked eye from the ground at, at that right. elevation, but mm-hmm. they're they're there uh, at that elevation flying. So yeah, they get I, way up there. I'm seeing a scientific paper here. Uh, the, if comparing the heights that various insects can, yeah. I don't know. I'm we thinking. know there are insects that get really high. There are a number of moths and yeah. other types of insects that just fly up into jet streams that get get blown around essentially. Well, yeah, and then they end up in Australia and uh, England <laughs> and uh, wherever around the world. I mean, they're a monarch. Of course, do you think that's how monarchs got to other parts of the, the I think world? That was people mostly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah you're probably right. <laughs> What do I? People, we drag everything across the planet. Uh, uh, well, we we just have a, a few minutes left here, and uh, I actually want to call attention to uh, an email we got from Joey Baird, who said, and, and Peggy mentioned it during the break, that if folks want to have more insects around. Uh, they might consider leaving the litter on the ground in their yards, and you guys are both nodding. The, the, yeah, the yard abso- litter, not the garbage litter. Absolutely. Right. Mo- a large number, maybe most insects that overwinter, do it down in the leaf litter. So if you mm-hmm. rake all your leaves, you're removing habitat, and there's no place for them to go. So a really great thing you can do is leave your leaves on the ground, as many as you can, mm-hmm. or mulch them in place. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you got a, okay if you got a lawn I understand that but even lawns are a lot tougher than you think mm-hmm. unless they get completely matted down in which case as you say you can you can chop them up you mow them and then leave them on the ground and they break up and then what I do is I rake the leaves off my tiny tiny lawn into my garden because mm-hmm. I know there's then there's leaf litter and and I'll tell you the truth I I get as much branch litter as I can too it's not mm-hmm. just leaf litter I put branch litter out mm-hmm. there so that uh, insects have habitat get your neat neighbors leaves too yeah, yeah. you don't up. you don't need to neaten everything up leave your brush piles leave some long grasses that's really good yeah. habitat yeah one one of the uh, groups of insects that really likes that sort of treatment of a yard are fireflies right oh yeah <laughs> well you know it's interesting because earlier in the year somebody wrote about fireflies and I said oh I, I've seen I see a lot of fireflies in my yard I leave my leaf litter down and, and they kind of poo-pooed it and said you don't know why they're there really and and I thought yeah you're right I don't um so I like to uh, think that maybe I'm doing some good uh and in in the big picture, probably, yes, but you really don't know for sure if you've got a bunch of fireflies in your yard whether it has anything to do with you leaving your leaf litter down, does it? Well, I think one of the th- one of the things that would argue in favor of leaf litter helping fireflies is what the uh, juvenile fireflies eat are like roly-polies and little snails and that sort of thing. And all of those are really going to benefit from leaving the leaf litter down. They mm-hmm. eat it. It keeps the soil mm-hmm. level moist, which they like. Um, so if you have m- more of that, you're potentially going to have more firefly prey we got like a minute and a half what are we going to do about jumping worms dudes i know it's just (laughs) seems sad uh that i don't think they're i they're all over my yard they're here they're in chicago and they're in my backyard i think maybe i brought them in i don't know well, I think worms in general in this part of the world are a problem. Non-jumping earthworms are not native right. to this They're part not. of the world. And, and they've caused a lot of changes in the leaf litter layer of, of woodlands. And what are we going to do with them? I don't have the first clue. <laughs> That's the conclusion I've come to is mm-hmm. that I don't think we know what to do And there's about too many this. of them to, 
try to remove and a few people of them. say well how do i keep them out of my yard and i tell people you're not yeah. they're going to end up in your yard because the eggs overwinter even though the worms don't in this climate and then in southern climates the worms will probably survive and it's just going to get worse and worse uh, well, I'm sorry. I, I, the good news: the monarchs are doing great, right? <laughs> and uh, and some others. And leave leaf litter in your yard uh, to help the insects. Gosh, it's been great having you guys here, Doug Terran and Alan Lawrence from Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. We're going to have you back. You know that. And uh, go Bucks. We'll be back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> it's a fine Sunday. It stopped raining. Uh, I have no idea, did it? I think so. Yeah. I had about an inch of rain in my rain gauge this morning. Uh, but that's probably spread over a couple of days. Uh, it, uh, but you've, you, did you, I did uh, not check this morning, oh, okay. but there were large <laughs> puddles in the driveway. Because you don't want to, you've had so much rain. There was large puddles in the driveway and, and soggy spots in the backyard already. Uh, today is the final day of the Windy City 2019 Windy City Coop Tour and Eco Yard Coop, uh, what's the full name? I'm See, looking I never, for it. I did that the other day. And Eco Yard Tour. Right. Windy City Coop and Eco Yard Tour, is that it? I believe so. Okay. Um, so it's you have 22 locations around Chicago where you can go see backyard chickens and, and other birds and, and livestock. And the website for that is um, like... Chick- if you type in Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts, it will take you to the site. It's it's a much longer sites.google.com. But I thought it was a simple one you told me last week. It was um, like chickens.com or something. Or that's Chica- not what Chicago I'm getting chickens. off of this now. Ah, well, I know the Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts. Yes, and that's the site I'm on. You know, on. and you can go to the Facebook page yeah. or their site, and, and all the information uh, there. 10 to 1, and a short break, and 1 to 4, and the online map is there. It's a 10 to 1, and we, 1 to we, 4. We, we get some eggs, and then we move on. Yep, stop for an well, omelet. Uh, well, oh. And, wow. Wish I had a dinger here. I would, I would, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, uh, we know what, uh, uh, 
what the proper response to that is. What a jerk move. Okay, there we go. Um, but I, something happened on Friday that throws the whole eco tour and the, the chicken coop tour into uh, a new light. Uh, and that is uh, Alderman Lopez in the city of Chicago. Raymond Lopez, 15th District. The 15th uh, Ward. Award. Sorry, uh, and uh, announced on Friday that he had uh, proposed a new ordinance that would, among other things, ban roosters. And he's going to basically change the urban ag rules in Chicago. And um, uh, it's being submitted by it, uh, it's submitted to the Committee on License and Consumer Protection. Uh, Alderman Napolitano is also. Uh, a sponsor, apparently, of this ordinance, and Napolitano is on that committee, though Lopez is not. Um, and I read, in, and there was an article in Block Club about that. Um, and it, the funny part was Lopez, so I, I'm not trying to, you know, ram this down anybody's throat, but we'd like to have this figured out by October. <laughs> I'm like, that's like a week away, okay? Um, so... Uh, it says in the Black Club, roosters would be banned on other farm animals like goats and pigs, more tightly regulated mm-hmm. in Chicago under a newly proposed ordinance. And that's that's roosters and not chickens. Roosters, right, 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 right. Roosters. Uh, because a lot of people get tense when there's a rooster in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Now, let me start by saying, perhaps quantifying some of these ordinance, quantifying the how to raise livestock in the city is not a bad thing. Kind of depends what you're looking at. Uh, the whole rooster issue is very interesting. Um, I've had roosters in my neighborhood and they've never bothered me one whit. Um, yet other people claim that they're just a nuisance and, and, uh, and apparently uh, folks have been setting them free in the city mm-hmm. and other animals, uh, which was, which causes problems, obviously. Uh, the thing that's weird about the alderman's proposal is that he doesn't seem to have come to the people who know what they're doing, like advocates for urban agriculture and the Chicago food policy uh, committee and uh, 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 Angelic organics learning center and Illinois environmental council. It just seems to have sprung whole cloth out of, out of somewhere. Uh, so w- the, the, and, and behind the scenes in the last few days, apparently the, urban ag community has been in an uproar about this. Now it's okay because often ordinances don't even get mm-hmm. out of committee, but this, you can look at this positively and say, this is an opportunity to talk because yeah, maybe there need to be some more rules about this to make it clarify yeah, and how, more education and more education about it. Uh, you know, one of the problems with roosters is that like schools, they will hatch chicks, mm-hmm. not realizing some of them are going to become roosters. What do you do with those roosters then? You know, are you discarding them? This, so you're going to have to drag something like that perhaps into this. At any rate, the point is that Alderman Lopez is going to be on Chicago Tonight on Tuesday with Laura Calvert, the executive director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. And so I encourage people to watch that to see what's going on. I, I chatted with her the other day. I chatted with Martha Boyd mm-hmm. uh, about this. And the whole idea is it's like, yeah, let's sit down and talk. Let's let's figure this out. Um, doing things by fiat never works. So 
part of the problem I have is that the alderman didn't say, hey, I'd like to sit down and talk with you yeah. guys. He just said, I've proposed this ordinance. It works in other communities, so it's going to work here. Well, and he also says, this is not a farm. This is a city. Well, those kind of statements are, yeah. not, are not helpful. Education okay. needed. Uh, yeah. So Chicago tonight on Tuesday, uh, Laura Calvert from uh, Advocates for Urban Agriculture and Alderman Raymond Lopez from the 15th Ward. Uh, it should be an interesting conversation. And next week, we're going to have Laura on the show to talk about this. I'm trying to get Martha Boyd as well. All right. When we come back, organic fruit trees. You don't want to miss this conversation. We'll be right back. When it comes to caring for your trees, you want the best science and the best arborists. You get exactly that with Bartlett Tree Experts. For three generations, training and education have been central to the work of this family-owned company. And Bartlett is the leader in safety. Whether it's your home or your business, Bartlett Tree Experts uses the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods. Call for a free estimate. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. The 12th Annual McHenry County College Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 2nd, and it's packed with cool, sustainable exhibits and learning experiences. The Clean Transportation Exhibit features luxury electric vehicles. There are workshops on regenerative agriculture, composting, and recycling. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. And there are more than 100 area businesses and organizations offering green exhibits, energy-saving ideas, and holiday gift tips. Taste local food, go on the Sustainable Artist Walk, and tour the beautiful new MCC Greenhouse and High Tunnels. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Mike and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash greenexpo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. Blessed are the old ones who know the magic of this earth and all those who've shared her simple pleasures and who know what these gifts are worth. And say a prayer for the young ones who may never understand that beneath all of the concrete and all the buildings lies some of the world's most fertile land. All these highways ain't no kind of substitute For the orchards and the fields And those silicon chips They ain't like trees or fruit Now they don't bloom in the springtime Bring their fruit into the fall Hey, ruby and rosy Tell me about it all, yeah. Ruby and Rosie, they tell me about it all. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we're very pleased to have Orrin Martin on the show. And Orrin, uh, you recognize that song, don't you? Uh, a fellow named Keith Greninger, local uh, folky. Uh, uh, we had a big book launch for this uh, uh, book the other night, 250 people uh, in a historic barn on campus at UCSC. And we had Keith there. I read a piece that's in the book. It was inspired by that very song called Take Back the Valley or the Valley of the Heart's Delight. It's a, lamenting the loss of the what was called the Valley of the Heart's Delight, the major fruit producing uh, valley now silicon valley and uh, so that's a beautiful tie-in mike i appreciate it uh, my pleasure uh I, I you had a lot of musical references in your book which is called fruit trees for every garden uh written by Orrin martin and Manjula martin who is your daughter uh as i mentioned on my blog when you get a forward by alice waters you expect something <laughs> special uh, and it is. It's a very special book, uh, and it is about growing fruit trees organically. And as I mentioned in my blog, to some people, that's an oxymoron. Um, and <laughs> especially, I think, in the Midwest, uh, I could be wrong about that. But you've been doing it for 40 years, uh, and uh, you uh, started out at uh, the Allen Chadwick Gardens at the Center for agroecology and sustainable farming systems at the university of california santa cruz um and you've got three acres there and you manage 600 folks listen to that 600 fruit trees uh there's a lot of people trying to get one to 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 grow properly how how do you manage 600 fruit trees well i move real quick <laughs> where's our dinger when we I need know. It? these are these are I might add dwarf trees, uh, generally under uh, 10 feet, uh, often under 8 feet. Um, we also have a 30-acre farm elsewhere on campus where we grow more standard orchards, trees that are 12, 15, 18 feet tall. Um, and it doesn't really matter if you have one, 10, 100, 1,000 trees. The, what you do and when you do it and how you do it is about the same. The principles and practices are the same regardless of scale. Uh, I hardly know where to start, but what I will what I will tell people, is, oh, you know, I know I know where I want to start with the artwork uh, with your wife Stephanie. Good, good choice. I th- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, it's it's beautiful. It 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 is just beautiful. Um, uh, your wife did, uh, and I don't even know how to spell it because is it intaglio? Is that how you pronounce that? It's Italian. Yeah, I, I threw me for a loop too. Intaglio is how it's Intali- pronounced. Intaglio, Intaglio etchings. Uh, they're color etchings, and they're just fabulous. I actually have one uh, on my blog. Uh, you go to mikenovak.net, and you can see it. And they grace the book at all the important points uh, where you start uh, chapters, uh, and they're fantastic. My only complaint is that it should have been on the cover. We should have had one on the cover. Well, there's a couple on the back cover. Well, I know, I know, and that's good, so that people can just pick those up. And, <laughs> and I might add, that was my argument with the uh, uh, ten speed press as well, but didn't win. Uh, well, uh, you... can I say something about her evocative prints, as I call them? Which sure. Is, uh, yes, this is a, a age old uh, process of printmaking goes back to the Renaissance times, and it is a demanding, but she says gratifying. Uh, experience to carry forward the centuries-old tradition. It is very difficult. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder, how can you have a print? How can you have an edition? How 
the heck could you have a portfolio? And yet, look, there are 10 lovely etchings in this book. She also, Stephanie, my wife, also did the line drawings uh, in the book, which I think uh, the visuals of this book really augment the, the content-dense stuff. Uh, they do. It's yeah, You've got wonderful photographs, but the, the prints are worth the price of admission. So if there's a reason, <laughs> if there's a reason to pick up the book, it's that alone. But that said, well, and the illustrations, as he said, are, are right. Well, right. you know, and 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 the illustrations include the how-to mm-hmm. uh, I- illustrations that you have in there, because as I mentioned in an email to you, Oren, pruning is 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 it? I call it part. Art, part science, part nightmare uh, <laughs> for for the average gardener, and that's not, not and that's not even taking into account fruit trees. That's just for ornamental trees. And with fruit trees, you lay it out step by step with really nice drawings. And I and I and I predict that there are people who buy fruit trees uh, and get this book, and they're going to take it out to the garden, mm-hmm. and they're going to be standing there looking at the book, looking at the tree, looking at the book, looking at the tree, and then tentatively making a little yes. cut, then looking back at the book. And, <laughs> going, you know, Did I do that right? Right. And this book is going to get very dirty, but that's kind of what you want, don't you? That is the intent, uh, yes. And um, yeah, I think you, you uh, hit the nail on the head. I think... Uh, you know, there's studies that show that uh, trees in the environment have a calming effect on people, but maybe not so much the backyardener, uh, <laughs> backyard gardener come pruning time. Uh, it can be overwhelming, intimidating, but, and, and no doubt fruit tree physiology is complex, but it's actually quite logical, linear, methodical. So this book tries to lay out the step-by-step approach, uh, what you do and what the expected responses are. And in general, the book is about the hows, yeah, the crap, the skill-based stuff, but it's also about the whys, a little bit of the science in bite-sized digestible uh, portions behind the how. So the fact, uh, for instance, if you cut, it seems oxymoronic. Uh, If you cut back a branch, it stimulates it to grow more from winter pruning. Right. And a little bit about the how. Well, why is that true? Like, well, you've got but, you've got a, a, a like you said a little bit of each, but I think that uh, you could use this book. A, a starting gardener could use this as a primer on organic gardening and not go wrong. Uh, you're right because I think uh, the first impulse people have come planting season is to grab a tree, grab a spade, dig a hole, stick the tree in the ground, and in reality, the last thing you do is plant the darn tree. There's a whole lot of the run-up to planting a tree is critically important. There's some planning, but it also is about, and is enumerated in the book um, through tutorials, um, what I call the three C's, cultivation, which is just a fancy word for digging or plowing, cultivation, compost, and cover crops. These are the three drivers of any organic system. So there's tutorials in how to start a compost pile, how to dig a French intensive raised bed, um, how to sow and manage and turn in cover crops as green manures. Uh, And speaks a little bit more to also the biodiversity you're trying to create in your yard. And that can indeed help you with pest issues. Won't solve them all, but can help you. Uh, So it's looking at, yeah, the tree and its uh, minutia, but also uh, the setting that the tree is in, Mm -hmm. the soil, the yard, Mm -hmm. and beyond. Well, yeah, you you lay that out too. You say, okay, you got a hill. uh, Which What direction is the hill pointing in? Uh, You know, and that's going to change what kind of, tree you you put there um the soil obviously you have to pay attention to there's just all kinds of considerations before you even put the tree in the ground 
That's right. And let's pause here and uh, pay homage to soil uh, in that uh, uh, soil is the portal to growing, good soil, the portal to good growing. I think it's just probably the most make or break thing. So you need to know how to evaluate your soil. This book will help you with both a quantitative approach, just taking a soil sample, sending it to a lab and a qualitative approach. There are a lot of things you can know about your soil simply by looking at it and uh, running it through your hands and such. Um, But it's just critically important to have good soil. If you don't, then the run-up to planting tree is about improving your soil through good digging techniques, as outlined in the book, through the French Tents Raised Bed. Compost, 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 and cover crops turned in as green manures. Uh, you taught you call this the biodynamic French intensive uh, or as you write in the book or French intensive or raised bed gardening or deep bed system or wide bed system or Chinese <laughs> intensive yeah. it's it's a little intimidating but I think the the point is what you just said now which is compost 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 but also preparing that soil and cover crops and I think cover crops I think people get the idea of compost, not as many people get the idea of cover crops. You're totally right. Uh, it's uh, uh, just uh, age old and, and uh, 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 something that you can do to uh, kind of harness biology to help you. So the idea is uh, in this climate, in the fall, winter, we overwinter our cover crops in most areas, say, oh, Chicago, Wisconsin, et cetera, northern Illinois. Uh, you would sow cover crops in and around the trees towards the end of the summer. They would grow until they had a killing frost and then provide a thatch like that. Well, technically, this is... and legumes to really improve your soil. Yeah. Legumes, members of the pea family, are... Uh, able to give you free nitrogen. They can fix nitrogen and uh, free stuff is good. And nitrogen (laughs) is the nutrient most needed and the most expensive. So again, free stuff is good. I was going to say, we are at technically what today, the end of summer. Uh, Yeah. Yep. How about that? So uh, if somebody were to do a cover crop on the last day of summer or the first day of autumn, uh, I would think there might be still time to get some benefits from that. Don't you? Sure you can. You you can grow just grasses, any of the annual cereals. Oats are easy. Rye is good. Barley as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can grow any number of legumes in tandem with the grasses. Having a grass legume mix is a little better overall. Uh, uh, vetches are fairly hardy. Uh, clovers, etc. You sow them now, they grow, and then one is your killing frost, they'll, they'll uh, die. But again, the thatch that they provide from the dead foliage will be a mulch for you over winter. And some like vetch will even spring up again and grow a little bit in the, in the spring. And then you turn them in again. Right. And, and you've just fertilized your lawn, as you said, with the cost of seed. What? You okay? Can you hear me? Yeah. uh, We had froze here. Oh, okay. Internet connection is unstable, but proceed. (laughs) Well, (laughs) just keep talking. (laughs) You know what? Oren, I'm unstable and and it it doesn't bother anybody uh, here. So, uh, so cover crops are great, man. There's just, there's just so much that you bring out. But one of the things uh, I have to address and don't let me get away from uh, the, uh, the, oh, and I, I won't remember the, the type. I'll get to it. Let's start with double digging. I, I'm a guy who thought that the idea of double digging died decades yeah. ago. I, I read and, that and I was picturing alarm bells going off in your head. Uh, uh, <laughs> but the way you describe it, 
it makes sense because uh, you're not just taking the uh, the soil from two feet down and putting it on top, which was the I think was the old double digging. You're saying mm-hmm. get rid of some of that, incorporate some compost into that, make it better so that the tree has a chance to send deeper roots. Even though, as we know, roots grow out, not right. down from right. trees. So. And and I think this is all. And, and for, excuse me uh, for for going on here, but the point is, it's all in the service of fruit trees. And the thing you make really clear, and I think folks need to understand. And I wrote about it on the blog: is that fruit trees are not ornamental trees; they're fruit trees. They have different needs. And your goal is to jumpstart that tree the second you get it in the ground, so you can get it producing within three or four years. That's true. Um... But let's pause on the soil and digging a little bit. Okay. First of all, you need to evaluate your soil. You may or may not have good soil. The techniques in the book, particularly around French intensive raised bed double digging, are for people who have poor soil. And it's a really good way to rapidly jumpstart your soil and get it moving along in the direction of fertility. Um, there's a lot of good things about working the soil, digging, plowing, et cetera. And there are, as we know, increasingly some negative things. Uh, so you have to ha- sort of exercise your horticultural sensibilities and decide how much of this digging do you need to do. But uh, to your thing about roots, it's uh, very true of fruit trees. They actually have often wider than deeper roots. In fact, most of the effective feeding roots are in the top one, maybe two foot of the soil. And this is irrespective of whether it's a dwarf or a full size tree but the roots are the roots are not symmetrical but they are radial they go out wide and and that's that's the way pretty much with with all trees and i think it's it's wise for people to understand that you know when you, even when you have an ornamental tree um arborist and and we have a uh, uh, bartlett tree experts as a sponsor of our show and they advise make make the the uh, mulch ring as large as you can stand it basically because uh, uh, the 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 roots go out to the drip line and beyond. That's true, uh, very true. And the more active feeding roots are right at that drip line line around the periphery of the tree. Let me put in a plug here for what is uh, uh, technically called ramial wood chips or just plain old wood chips. Um, we've been using them for 30 plus years as a mulch on our fruit trees. And as such, once we initially prepare and plant the uh, tree, the first few years use a little cover, uh, compost, we can just pretty much mulch the trees three, four inches, spring and fall, sow a cover crop into it, knock that down and mulch it over again. Wood chips as a mulch are phenomenal in fruit tree systems. And there's now supporting research to show that. Uh, uh, and that usually in most areas, you can get wood chips cheap or free. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, ramial wood chips, which are the, the smaller branches, which you like. And that seems to make a lot of sense to me that, yeah, you can incorporate those in the soil. They're going to break down a little faster. That's correct. All right. Uh, we need to take a short break here. That's Orrin Martin. He is the co-author. Well, he wrote with his daughter, Manjula Martin, Fruit Trees for Every Garden. We will be right back. Did you know it takes almost 2,000 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. It takes only 39 gallons of water to produce one pound of vegetables. Meat production releases more greenhouse gases than veggies. 
Emissions from livestock currently make up almost 15 percent of the global greenhouse gases. Of that, beef and dairy alone make up 65 percent. One cow's annual output of methane, you know, cow fluffs, burps, call them what you want, is equivalent to the emissions generated by one car burning 235 gallons of gas. Talk about stinky climate change. More vegetables equals a happier planet. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, you've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, or angular. These are not your grandfather's conifers. Stop by, select, and tag your trees now for fall digging. By the way, the sale of all their garden art goes to Mano Omano International Partners to build schools and clinics in Bolivia. Go to richesfoxwillowpines.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. That's richesfoxwillowpines.com. Novak show with Peggy Malecki. I had to choose uh, another song that you mentioned in your book. See, th- one of the things that Oren Martin has done with his book, uh, Fruit Trees for Every Garden, you've revealed a little bit of yourself, uh, y- your musical choices and your sports, your love of sports. You use those metaphors. That uh, is Eddie Vedder singing their song called Rise. Why is that important to you? Well, um, Eddie Vedder, a man who uh, one uh, made playing the ukulele cool and <laughs> um, and to a uh, strong uh, advocate for social justice and the environment. And in that song, Rise, he talks in the, near the end about uh, throwing down your ace in the hole. And as I put it, uh, uh, exerting uh, love and care on a sometimes unseemly world here. Uh, so let's go to fruit trees, uh, please plant fruit trees uh yeah. they provide shade cover fruit and maybe throw a little shade on climate uh change but also uh as you see and as you said mike uh yeah you know rock and roll can inform your education <laughs> you you and i are contemporary so we've got uh a lot of the same uh background i'm sure uh, you mentioned the band in there and uh, and some other groups. I just don't have time to play them all. And uh, but uh, I, th- I thought I'd get a couple of the the uh, well, at least one of the more obscure ones. Uh, the the fellow uh, Keith uh, the, who we played uh, Greninger. Uh, I, honest to goodness, I went to uh, YouTube and found it, and there was like two hundred and fifty seven uh, views of that. And I thought that guy deserves more. Uh, he does. He does. He's a, a man who has a reverence for nature and an empathy people as you can tell from his lyrics and uh, kind of plays bluesy stuff with a really nice uh, uh, soulful sound and uh, 
he's a favorite in our household and in this area. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Jackson Brown with a little edge, basically. A little edge and a little more social justice concern. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little ground, a little edge. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I like Jackson, too. <laughs> uh Anyway, the uh, the book, again, is called Fruit Trees for Every Garden. It is an organic approach to growing apples, pears, peaches, plums, citrus, and more. And, and I think we should make that clear. You, you spend a lot of time talking about poems, P-O-M-E-S, uh, which are fruits like apples. And uh, but you you cover a wide range, pretty much everything. It made me wonder why you didn't go into blueberries and raspberries and that sort of thing. But, I, you know, looking at the length of the book as it is, I thought, yeah, that would probably make your head explode, wouldn't it? Uh, my or the readers, I, I was down for a seven, eight hundred page tome, but not so much the uh, publishers. <laughs> so, uh, I actually just wanted to uh, uh, concentrate on home fruits, apples, pears, and quinces, and stone fruits, anything with mm-hmm. a pit in the center, uh, plums, uh, peaches, uh, cherries, and the like. Uh, and they asked me to add the citrus, pomegranate, figs, persimmons, et cetera. So well, I did. They're kind of uh, cool. They're, it's, it's, it's interesting to read about them, and I'm glad you did throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm uh, my uh, apprentices uh, uh, have accused me of never getting past A in the uh, fruit tree catalog. It's not totally <laughs> true. But the thing of it is here on the central coast of California, Santa Cruz County, for instance, is the second smallest uh, county in the state. But until the 80s, used to be the second leading apple producing region. So apples grow real well here. Uh, so I have concentrated on those. Yeah, you don't think about that. When I think apples, I think Washington State, I think Michigan. Um, yeah, uh, well, certainly both those states. Uh, uh, and actually, let's put in a plug for uh, the PRI apples, Purdue Rugger, Illinois. It's a collaborative breeding program been going on since past uh, around the Second World War. Purdue Ruggers in Illinois. Originally, they were called low spray or no spray apples, and they developed some really good varieties. Uh, they put they did a cutesy thing of usually putting the letters PR and I, Purdue Ruggers in Illinois consecutively in the varietal name. So you have Prima, Pristine, uh, Priscilla, uh, Williams Pride, and they are indeed low and no spray uh, apples. And particularly, you draw a line from Duluth to Dallas eastward, uh, you've got to have more pest uh, and disease issues. So anything you can do in planting disease-resistant varieties is going to help you out. Yeah, you you do mention that in the book, and so we're in that part of the country here, unlike you, where we have more of those pests and diseases because it's a little more humid, uh, more moist uh, than you guys get. But then you have to deal with water issues. You have to. Uh, it's a very dry part of the country. We have a semi-arid climate, and as we move forward, looking moving more towards arid. Um, so yeah, that's an issue. We ironically, and you're going to laugh at this. Uh, we have an issue with not having enough winter chill sometimes for our deciduous fruits. That's not a problem in Chicago, Wisconsin, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, uh, one of the things that I think folks are not have probably never heard of that they're going to learn about if they read this book is something called chill hours. And it's not, you know, kicking back with a glass of wine or a beer. It is uh, something else. Tell us about chill hours and fruit trees. Yeah. Yeah, uh, chill hours would be defined as the number of hours in an area that you get where the temperatures are below 45 degrees. You just log them in cumulatively. All areas around the country have been logged in, so you can find out from your ag extension people what are your expected chill hours. Similarly, all fruit tree varieties have been 
tested for their chill hours. So you're going to probably get in excess of a thousand, fourteen hundred. Maybe you get up in a Wisconsin and Michigan approaching two thousand chill hours, where we're lucky to get five to seven hundred out here. The point being that you need to match up the variety of, say, apple you want to plant and your chill hours. Um, and there are high chill, moderate chill, and low chill varieties. You live in a high chill, uh, your audience lives in a high chill area, and you ought to plant high chill hours. And mm-hmm. this is just, uh, once a tree goes dormant, it needs these amount of chill hours to bust out of dormancy in a really compressed way to bloom, leaf out, flower, fruit, and do all the things they need to do in a short period in the spring. Yeah. Uh, so. Your audience would go for high chill varieties, right? Exactly, and and one of the things you talk about in the book, uh, you you mentioned how the roots are storing up all this energy, so that when spring comes, they just uh, the the whole tree is like engaged, and it has to produce. and And this is how it's different from an ornamental tree. I mean, ornamental trees flower, but they don't produce these huge amounts of fruit and a lot of energy is has to go into that. So this is another reason why you have to have such good soil because you need to replenish all the energy that's lost in the fruit production. Uh, that's very true. Uh, you could say that fruit tree growing is a marathon. There are uh, a typical apple will live 80 to hundred years or pears in the hills of Tuscany, Italy that are guesstimated mm-hmm. to be in excess of 250 years old. So it's a long marathon but each year is in essence a sprint you got to get out of the gate down the track get to the finish line which is fruit harvest Uh, and an inordinate amount of things happen early in the year and so you want to be out in the orchard fertilizing mulching as soon as you can but that's difficult to do early in the spring so the idea of having the trees well tended watered and fertilized through mid late summer at that time they take uh, resources, carbohydrates and nutrients storm in their roots, and then they can translocate, shuttle them to fuel all the upsurge of activity that happens early in the spring. Yeah, you, you uh, I love I love the graphics you have in here, all the wonderful information, uh, not just about chill hours. You've got a chart shows mm-hmm. chill hours uh, for all kinds of different trees. Uh, but you even in you talk about cover crops and you list things. Uh, you don't leave people to their own devices. You don't say, well, you need to throw in a cover crop and then, you know, then, and then go to the next chapter. Right. Exactly. No, you're actually telling people exactly what they need. Did you want to jump? Well, in? I, have a, I have a question I'd like to ask. Okay. With all the great information and the how to's for somebody who might have a fruit tree in their yard that has been neglected. That well, it was there, as you said, you inherited it when you bought the house, and we're coming into the winter season. What what would be like the best thing somebody could be doing for a tree that has pretty much had no care? Yeah, okay. Here's the deal. Uh, this is probably the most commonly asked question I encounter. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's nice. Or people come to workshops. Yeah, but my trees don't look like yours. Um, and here's the deal: uh, a tree doesn't get out of hand in one year. And you can't bring it back in one year. What you need to do is just to balance that tree out. You're probably growing a good deal of firewood, not so much fruit. And there's better ways to get firewood than growing fruit trees. Um, So what you do is you want to reclaim the tree. You want to bring it down in size and simplify its form. Fruit tree growing is about sunlight management. You need to get sunlight into the center of your tree to get good fruit. So you 
engage in some thinning cuts, but you don't do it all at once. As I said, a tree doesn't get out of hand in one year. You're not going to bring it back in one year. In fact, if you do too many cuts on a tree, the tree will go bonkers. Yeah, I think you said two or three years to bring it back. Yeah, you can double up. You can do winter and summer pruning. You you look at the tree, envision the tree you think you want, and then start thinning uh, 25% in the winter, 25% in the summer. Go through two years. That should equal 100%. And you'll have a, reason, a more reasonable tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a specific question myself because my neighbors and I are exchanging fruit. Um, I give them tomatoes and they give me peaches because they live in Chicago, but uh, her family has a farm in Michigan and they're growing peaches. Uh, they and, grow some amazing peaches in Michigan. <laughs> uh, I just got, she gave me some of the best peaches I've ever had in my life. And they're Flaming Fury peaches. Paul Friday, you're familiar with that guy? And it's a PF25. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... What I call uh, peaches fall into two categories, old school and new school. Mm-hmm. It's a new school uh, peach. And uh, uh, maybe there can be too much of a good thing, that is, with sugar. Some of these peaches are new peaches, are like the Flaming Fury, are insanely sweet. Yes. <laughs> What's uh, wrong with that? <laughs> little vanilla well, ice cream with oh, it? Perfect. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm old school in that regard. I like an old-timey peach as well as the new peaches. Yeah. That is one that has plenty of sugar but some ba- balancing acidity. Yeah, I get it. But it's hard to look at the uh, look askance at those new peaches like the Flaming Fury and such. Uh, they are sugar. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I'm going to call you out on just a little bit, but I understand because guys like you, uh, you know, I've talked to people who have grown apples and they say, oh, yeah, you like uh, Honeycrisp? Oh, yeah, you haven't even tasted an apple, you know. I happen to like Honeycrisp, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the problem is you can't find anything. That's like the most exotic apple you can get in most stores. Uh, or even a lot or, of the farmer's markets. Yeah, or maybe a pink lady. That's kind of it. How, how do we get more of these apples out there? Well... You've got to grow. I mean, it's very true. I'm I'm an apple snob. And you so. got and you got and you yeah. got and you got about thirty seconds here. So uh, okay. what what you do is you look at small nurseries online, and they'll stock a whole range of trees, uh, old and new, and you plant them. Or uh, you can uh, encourage your local growers to plant some of these. But uh, ain't nothing wrong with Honeycrisp. Ain't nothing wrong with Pink Lady. It's just there's more out there in terms. Of Orin Martin, thank you so much. Fruit trees for every garden. The 12th annual McHenry County College Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 2nd, and it's packed with cool, sustainable exhibits and learning experiences. The Clean Transportation Exhibit features luxury electric vehicles. There are workshops on regenerative agriculture, composting, and recycling. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. And there are more than 100 area businesses and organizations offering green exhibits, energy-saving ideas, and holiday gift tips. Taste local food, go on the Sustainable Artist Walk, and tour the beautiful new MCC Greenhouse and High Tunnels. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Mike and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash greenexpo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? 
Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Cowbell. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we need a little less conversation, a little more action. You got some action for us there, Peggy? Yeah, because even gardeners sometimes get a second chance. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, now has fall veggies ready to pop into your kitchen garden for another round of fresh, tasty greens. Think Asian pears, peas, spinach. If you miss the spring, you get a second chance as the cooler fall temps arrive. Grow them in a container for the last fresh-picked salads of the year. So you want to head over today to 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa right now. Well, actually, probably right after the show ends. No, you can listen to the show on the way over because yeah. the show's uh, almost over yeah. here. We got Rick DeMaio coming up, but... And he'll let us know about the rain, which yeah. will help to water your fall garden. And as always at City Grange, there's valet parking on weekends. CityGrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and that guy we talked about, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, is on the phone. Good morning, Rick. <clears throat> Good morning, guys. Welcome to the last day, as you um, as you mentioned previously, the last official day of summer 2019. So in, in your eyes, both of you, I know, but, but how did it end? Did you like this summer? What, <laughs> did you want it differently? Warmer, cooler, wetter, drier? I thought it was decent. I thought it was just fine. It was not it was not over not overly hot, not overly dry. Uh, I was kind of oh. su- I was kind of surprised. We were talking in the first hour about monarchs, and uh, I, I was reading uh, one of your colleagues. Well, actually, not a colleague, but the the woman up in uh, Wisconsin with um, the butter uh, uh, journey north. Uh, which is at now at the University of Madison, University of Wisconsin Madison Arboretum, and she was talking about how the 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 weather was perfect for monarchs this year, which is one of the reasons that they did really? so. Yeah, and I thought it was I thought it was overly cool and wet in the spring, but she said it yeah. was it was not too cool and not too wet, so that kind of surprised me. So that was it, uh, the arboretum director Karen Oberhauser, right? Uh, and it made me rethink uh, the whole summer. 
because we, those of us who grew tomatoes know it was kind of an iffy year. Um, in fact, there was an article in the Trib the other day about what an iffy tomato mm-hmm. year it was. So in general, I thought the spring was kind of lousy, but the summer was good. And up in Lake County, the summer was a little too wet for parts of it. Yeah, and, and if you remember, Peg, you know, you and I were going back and forth on how variable uh, the rainfall was, depending mm-hmm. on whether or not you were maybe in northern Lake County, which last week got 10 inches of the rain. Uh, southern Lake County got a little bit less. And then obviously all that rainfall filled up the watershed system, flooded the displays and the Fox River. Of course, that's what everybody is thinking about today, um, only because we're still under a flash flood watch. And I sent this uh, information to you guys about about 10 minutes ago, and then when you look at that area, you go, oh, my God, we're going to get flooding again. But you know what's been interesting about this event? Even though some of the co-op observers show anywhere between an inch and a half and almost two inches in some areas, it's come over a long period of time. We've Mm -hmm. gotten some breaks. Uh, The ground, I think, has been able to kind of soak up some of that rain. I think we've seen in the past when you have a lot of dry weather, the water runs off very, very quickly. Uh, And then we're getting a little bit of a break now with more rain coming back later on this afternoon tonight. Even if we get like another inch and a half to two inches, you look at the overall event and you're like, um, oh, my God, three to four inches, that's going to flood everything. But, again, it's coming over a long period of time. It should should stay to the south of us. And, therefore, those people living along the the, the plains and the Fox River up around McHenry, uh, Lake in northern Cook County, I think we're going to be okay. So that's my deterministic forecast, uh, which is a yes or a no or a thumbs up or a thumbs down, uh, as opposed to a probabilistic forecast. Hopefully everybody can can kind of breathe a sigh of relief there. Well, up here, I'm not worried about what's going on here unless it happens to all of a sudden get really crazy dry, which it tends to do sometimes. But if if it hasn't been crazy dry by now, I, I suspect that we're going to be fine for the rest of uh, the fall leading into the winter. I mean, my concern always is, are your trees and shrubs hydrated? Do they have enough water to get through the winter, especially the evergreens? Because, as you know, Rick, they they continue to transpire over the winter, uh, but they cannot draw up water if the ground is frozen. So it's especially crucial with those trees. What what does concern me a little bit is uh, Texas having the second 1,000-year rain event in two years. Uh, at least that's what I read in, uh, in, on, in one article. What do you think about that? Yeah, and if you look at that you know, information I gave you, uh, here it is, Tropical Depression of Melda. Uh, who was a tropical storm, as I told my students, for about what we call in the world of meteorology, um, a cup of coffee. That's how long she was a tropical storm for. Um, that thing produced over 40 inches of rain. That turned wow. out to be the seventh, wet- yeah, the seventh wettest tropical storm. Or t- you have to be careful here. Tropical system ever. You can have a tropical depression, tropical storm, and a hurricane. And if you look at the information also that I send you, it's not so much how much rain fell, but what they do is they can normalize it over a certain area. And it was still twice as less, or I should say half of what fell with Harvey. But then you go to those people who live down there, and you're like, how much more can you take? And at what point do you bail out? But even if you bail out, who's going to buy your house? Because if you're now living in a, in a new area that's now become flood-prone, 
the value of your house, as we've seen here in this plains area along the Big Bend River Bend, Big Bend River area, it's worthless at this point. And this is what eventually has to get to local officials, whether it's city, county, state, or federal, about what to do in some of these situations. We're beyond the tipping point. You're not going to start to drop ice cubes into the Gulf of Mexico. Those people have to start demanding some sort of flood mitigation adaptation. Otherwise, it's going to happen like not every 500 years, pretty much every five years. Yeah, uh, you can't get you can't you can't have thousand year events every five years and continue to uh, build homes uh, uh, in those areas. Uh, we uh, I got about twenty seconds before I need to get you to uh, uh, oh well, uh, before I need to get you to a, a forecast. But uh, I, I posted an article about the ice in Greenland behaving in really odd ways now, and it's forming these sheets that doesn't absorb water anymore but causes it to run off. Did you see anything about that, Rick? Yeah, yeah, I have. What happens <laughs> is once ice melts, we all know about it. When it, when, it re, when it remelts, it melts in kind of a smooth way. So instead of the crevices where the water actually gets caught in it, it runs off, and obviously that um, also adds to a rise in sea level as well. But I think next week we could talk also about how much ice uh, melted at the end of the summer. We always look at it in two ways, how much ice formed at the end of the winter and how much ice melted in the summer. We can talk about that next week, Mike. All right. Well, give us a uh, quick forecast. You already alluded to it. Yeah. Um, so about an inch to two inches of rain again between now and probably about midnight. Tonight. I think the bulk of it stays south and east. The heaviest rain should be over with by about 8 or 9 o'clock. Uh, warm and humid today. We're getting used to the warm September's. Mostly cloudy early tomorrow, nice in the afternoon, limited 70s tomorrow, then warmer by the end of the week, 80s by next weekend. Wow. Okay. Sounds good. Let's keep it going. Uh, Rick DeMaio, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. We'll talk about glaciers then, too. Sounds good. Thank you, bye. Bye Bye-bye. I want to thank everybody on the show, our two scientists, Doug Terran and Alan Lawrence. Uh, I want to thank Oren Martin and his fantastic book, Pick Up a Copy of Fruit Trees for Every Garden. Of course, Rick DeMaio, Andrew, Ellie. Boy, we're early. All right. Until next Talk time. amongst yourselves. <laughs> until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. What a jerk. Uh, you didn't miss much.